0: Make the choice to begin anywhere in your life, and the journey has started.
1: We exist more than just to educate. We exist to also revitalize.
0: And along the way, you can inspire others and be inspired. But now there's a
1: new generation of scholars, and I am among them. If you really want to know
2: who you are and what you are capable of, Howard is the choice for you.
0: Take a moment, listen to the stories by joining the president of Howard University, Dr. Wayne A.I. Frederick, and his guest on The Journey.
1: At Howard, we are bound both to uphold the historic legacy of our esteemed university and to fulfill our responsibility of service to our society. We can only hope to realize this mission and preserve these core values if we develop an upright and upstanding institutional culture, as well as the infrastructure to maintain it. As we settle into being on campus this semester, every member of the Howard family has a role to play in ensuring the university's security and protecting our institution's reputation. Hello, my name is Dr. Wayne Frederick, and my guest today on The Journey are Robert Clark, Howard University's Chief Compliance Officer, and Dr. Erica Alexander, Howard's Deputy Chief Compliance Officer. Mr. Clark and Dr. Alexander, welcome to the journey. Thank Thank you you for having us. Delighted to be here. Good. So I'm going to start with you first, Mr. Clark. Um, Let's jump right in. Compliance. Why compliance? How did you even find your way to to compliance? And maybe you can start first by defining what compliance is.
2: Well, compliance (laughs) is uh, really just at the heart of every organization to make sure that we are operating consistently with our regulatory guidance. When we think of higher education, it is one of the most heavily regulated industries in the nation. And compliance's role is really to be a part of the infrastructure to help to enable each of those functions to work successfully, not to be in the way to be the gotcha police, but really to be the enablers of identifying what the parameters are in which the university can operate and to provide that counsel and independent support to make sure that we're operating from a position of strength. So tell, tell us a little bit about your journey. Where, where did your journey start? Where, where did you grow up? Grew up in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, started, my, uh, started my career in auditing and compliance at MIT. And quite honestly, it was something that I did not think I was going to end up spending what has now been over three decades doing. Because I'm thinking, you know, everyone hates the auditors. Everyone hates mm-hmm. the compliance people. They're always the people that are that people fear coming in and when they start knocking on your door. Um, what I saw from the very first engagement that they that I ever got involved in and I'm dating myself but this is now counting petty cash funds mm. so this was back in the 80's and the very first review that I ever did ended up uncovering over $25,000 in fraudulent transactions that ended up implicating two prominent people within that organization and I just saw people's lives destroyed by that. And I just, I became so passionate about wanting to try to ensure that that didn't happen again and not get caught up in the fact that I was now an expert witness in a court proceeding. I was just focused on how do we protect people from getting into the situation again and really try to think proactively about how we can put best practices in place. and three decades later and uh, a number of institutions later, at Georgia Tech in Nebraska, Clark Atlanta for the past 10 years before joining here, it's really something that I've found a passion for because I see the impact that we're able to have on helping to protect the rich legacy of our institutions.
1: So Dr. Alexander, let's uh, turn to you a bit. Um, probably, my first question is when I hear about things like compliance, I wonder whose responsibility is <laughs> What's your uh, thought about compliance in terms of whose responsibility it is to uphold all of the regulatory things that Mr. Clark was just mentioning.
0: Well, it's it's kind of a trick question because honestly, it's everybody's responsibility. <coughs> so whereas we may have a general expertise on where the parameters and the guidelines exist, um, when we operate and function in our roles every day, we should be upholding the right thing. and And our goal is really to create that that border to clearly define where the outliers exist, but everyone can uphold their own creative aspect of what they do and how they operationalize their role every day with our guidance to go alongside of it.
1: So, Dr. Anson, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your journey, kind of where it started and how you got into a compliance role.
0: Sure. So, I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. I went to Western Michigan and I actually uh, studied science. I'm a clinician by trade, so I'm an occupational therapist, and I got my master's in that um, area as well and practiced for a number of years. So I think naturally my compliance journey was embedded in my clinical practice. I think as anybody with um, um, a medical professional license, it's regulated by the state's board of medicine, you know what you can do, who you can supervise, the notes you sign, the way you have the document, and how to get credential for people to pay for it. So. I think that that kind of naturally puts you on a journey where you're protective of your practice. You want to make sure there's no barriers in the way of delivering um, treatment or care to the people you service.
1: You're listening to The Journey. My guests today are Robert Clark, Howard University's Chief Compliance Officer, and Dr. Erica Alexander, Howard's Deputy Chief Compliance Officer. And so, Erica, let's talk a little bit about healthcare. care. Uh, COVID has really changed how we deliver care. You now have a lot of healthcare professionals who are traveling nurses, as it will, you know, traveling occupational therapists, et cetera. They're making a lot more money, but they also are willing to stay at a place for a shorter period of time, which means that coming in, you've got to train and educate them about your environment, and then they leave. I often say that culture is a mixture of two things, right? People and tolerated behavior. So you get, you have lots of new people coming in and out and you have to convince them about what the tolerated behavior is because the last place they came from the tolerated behavior could either be where ours is or it could be at a different standard how how do you envision tackling that problem with so much movement in the personnel
0: sure i think i i kind of have a unique lens i was a travel therapist for three years and i think that the perspective that i bring to tackling that is Honestly, the unique culture here at Howard, I think we serve as a very um, unique population, um, underserved, um, underinsured, and I think that the mission of the team members that we see here in healthcare and the students that are being educated to be our future providers have a, a deep sincerity to that mission There's a very um, strong sense of community and wanting to do the right thing and doing a little bit more and staying a little bit longer. We know this facet of our workforce didn't have a break. They didn't get to work virtually. And so there's something of that type of person that's cut from a different cloth. So while we welcome anybody who wants to roll up their sleeves and come and help. I think that it's very um, easy to leverage the, the goodness of the community we have here and start having some good catches and call outs and so that everybody can be ingrained into the mission that really lies beneath what we do every day.
1: Right. And Robert, you, you launched a hotline recently so that you know those things are obviously very critical to an organization like ours. So it's a complicated organization, but at the same time, you want people to feel comfortable kind of to see something, reporting it so that, you know, we can make sure that we get on top of it. Uh, maybe you could tell our listeners a bit about that um, hotline and how you envision
2: it working. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited about that and, and thank you for your support in helping to put that in place. When you look at the, at the elements of a well-functioning, healthy, mature, uh, ethical organization, one of the principles is that we want to allow people to have the means by which to bring issues forward if they identify particular areas that with which they might feel uncomfortable putting in place the hotline which we have is now a uh, the the ethics point uh, hotline uh, it is a industry best practice in higher education where it affords people the opportunity to raise issues completely anonymously and confidentially Uh, through either phone calls, web interface, mobile device, and actually allows us to have ongoing anonymous communications with somebody in such a way that if there is additional information that we need to get from them to clarify what their particular issue is, we can do so anonymously. And having done this before at other institutions, what I've seen is how that changes the culture. It increases people's confidence to know that they do have a voice and that they do not have to have the fear of retaliation in bringing issues forward. um, And for both of you,
1: uh, we will touch on on this with respect to research. But starting with you first, Erica. Um, In the news recently, we've heard again about the Henrietta Lacks issue. The family is now suing a company around it. There's a lot in the news about the role that Johns Hopkins University may have played um, in it. And I, I just wonder in terms of even the training, you know, HIPAA is clear. You know, you can't let people's information get out, you protect it, but there's some of these areas that may be considered gray areas. It's not clear, it doesn't feel right. So there's clearly something there. And I like to describe things like compliance as, you may not be able to define it fully, but once you see it, you know it,
0: Yeah. right? Yeah. So w-
1: with that in mind, how do you create that culture around those ethical issues that may come up with patient care or patient research in particular where there's not a clear line but you sensitize people so that when they see something or they're getting ready to participate in something that doesn't feel right they can stop themselves long enough to pick up the phone and say listen i'm, I'm not sure about this can you give me some guidance
0: yeah i think sometimes that just happens as being a trusted messenger and and it's multiple conversations at a time. It's being visible, being available. Um, Rob and I like to say we live in the gray area. Um, and um, for example, I had I the privilege of um, meeting all the freshman medical students this summer as part of their orientation. And a good part of my conversation with them is what I call situations and solutions. You know, throw up a situation, some things are like this, but it's not the black and white issue. Where's the policy, where's the law? It's the, what feels wrong about this? Is it against the law? Is it against the policy? How would this impact my shareholders and stakeholders? How would I feel if this was on the front page of my social media? You know, and so I'm inviting the thought and the inward look of how does this feel to me and how does this feel about the greater community in which I service because sometimes it could be legal on policy, but it's still not the right thing to do. And so asking those whys and starting those conversations, be it from, you know, freshman year in medical school all the way up to our seasoned professionals that work in the clinics day to day have been doing something the same way for 30 years and hadn't even thought of the notion of changing or looking at it differently so i think that's the best first step in creating this dialogue and this inward look into what feels right about this or doesn't
1: sure and rob you're the captain and the quarterback of the entire team um as i said this has to be an important part of our culture it has to be embedded and it's obviously about our people, but it's about the tolerated behavior. When you look down the road three, five years from now, what do you see and how? what should we be expecting as an organization that's going to get us to what you see as your utopia around us having that type of quality and environment?
2: Well, it, it starts with how you introduce that question. It starts with your position of the importance of compliance within the organization because that tone at the top, sets the tone for the entire organization so the fact that you introduced it in a way that demonstrates that this is important to you we are positioned to try to really just carry out your vision and that's that which is supported by the board as well Um, as, as Erica is diving into the health sciences part of it what we're looking to do is to expand the type of coverage that we have and proactively identifying areas of risk, compliance risk within every other area of the operation. We talked about athletics before, you mentioned research, we talked about st- uh, federal student aid uh, within the financial operations, within our information systems posture. There are compliance and regulatory obligations with which we are required to uh, comply. We need to make sure that we are ahead of the curve, we're identifying what's coming down the pike. And that we're well positioned to try to uh, do exactly what you said at the beginning of our talk today, which is asking the question, where does compliance belong? And really, an effective compliance function is one in which we are helping to undergird and support those compliance oversight measures that are taking place in each operational unit. And that we are there to equip them to be fully successful, and that we can be a resource as they're developing some of those things on the front lines and to be that independent set of eyes and ears to provide that feedback, to provide the appropriate course corrections along the way so that we can be well positioned. My vision is that in, uh, in the coming few years here that the compliance function at Howard University is going to be recognized as best in class, not just in our geographical area, not just in the HBCU community, but in the rarefied air of top-tier institutions. As we grow in Howard forward, as we're looking to achieve all those strategic objectives, we want the compliance function to actually be walking alongside of and being an enabling force to allow us to achieve those objectives.
1: Thanks for being here. My guests today were Robert Clark, Howard University's Chief Compliance Officer, and Dr. Erica Alexander, Howard's Deputy Chief Compliance Officer. I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick. Please join me next time on The team.